views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. I want to welcome you, welcome all of you to a special edition of the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Recently, I was invited to attend and speak at a fundraising for awareness on uh, tick-borne disease, Lyme disease in particular. And I was honored to have the opportunity to interview so many people that are out in the field that are raising the bar on research, raising the bar on awareness, but more importantly, raising the bar on action. Today, we're going to present interviews that I got to conduct while I was at this amazing fundraising event on Martha's Vineyard. You'll get to hear from one of the top researchers on long-term effects on Lyme disease, Dr. John Alcott. Then you're going to hear from Joni Nass, who is the executive director of the Tick-Borne Disease Alliance. Then you get to hear from Dr. Ronnie Deleuze, founder of Martha's Vineyard Holistic Retreat, as well as a young person who is stepping into her own as a spokesperson for the young people that have contracted Lyme disease. And you'll get to hear from Chloe. So please sit back and a lot of information, a lot of passion and a lot of heart in what you're about to hear. Thank you for tuning in the Dr. Pat Show. This has been an amazing uh, event for me, and I hope it will be transformative for you. Hey, everybody. Thank you. Uh, we want to welcome all of you for uh, joining us here today. I mean, this is one of these very, very uh, heartfelt. You, you know, you heard me talk to a couple of people. Um, one gentleman just took off on the race. His wife, 23 years, Lyme disease. Um really in bed, bedridden, but here he is. He's coming out here and he's speaking out. Um, we want to make sure that you don't find yourselves, you don't find your children in that same position. And there are a number of people that have stepped out into the world and have done some amazing things. You know, part of this is, of course, uh, you know, bite back. But bite back without the support and without the, you know, uh, Tick-Borne Disease Alliance support, without any of that, you know what? <laughs> It's just another chit-chat that's not having anything to happen with it. You know, Jody, thank you for joining me uh, here today. I, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell folks who you are. But I, but I want to know what challenges, what obstacles have you had to overcome to get you to the position of wanting this to happen so much? Well, first of all, um, my name is Jody Nass, and I'm executive director of the Tick-Borne Disease Alliance. I got involved with this disease when my daughter got sick. Mm seven years ago. I've had friends suffering from this disease for 20 years. And the problem is, I understand all the people suffering, but the biggest obstacle with this disease 
is a medical community and people in this country don't understand what a growing epidemic this is. And now anybody who gets bitten by a tick, who enjoys the outside, can be affected by this disease. And it's a life changer. Uh, We need to get the politicians behind us. We need to get the medical community behind us. We need insurance companies to get behind us. People don't understand. You get bitten by a tick, you know, you'll go to a doctor and they'll tell you that, you know, they don't believe in Lyme disease. You take antibiotics for three days and you're better. But I deal with on a daily basis people who've been sick, who've been bedridden, who can't work, who are bankrupt because they've had to pay for all of their medical expenses out of pocket. So that's what has brought me here. And I just want people to know that this is not just about sufferers, this is about all the potential sufferers in this country. I think we will. In probably not five to seven years, we will grow from 400,000 sufferers to 600 sufferers, 600,000 sufferers throughout this country. Well, part of this, too, is that we've come a long way, not long enough. We need to train doctors, train students in medical school, have people understand that this is a chronic disease, and we have to accept it. But I'll take anything. The Tick-Borne Disease Alliance, we really feel if we can develop a good diagnostic tool, that would be something that would really turn on the pharmaceutical companies because they will see something profitable. That's what I'm saying. So if we can come up with a diagnostic that you could go to your physician, you could go to your pediatrician after spending your summers outside and and they can take this test, the insurance, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies will see that there is money behind this disease, and that will be your driving force. There's no question about it. Um, you know, think about it. What, what are your thoughts on, um, of all of these autoimmune diseases that have crept up in the past? It's fascinating. I really think this is sort of a breakdown in society. Yeah. I mean, where our immune systems are shot. We have too many antibiotics and chemicals in our food, Mm -hmm. and our systems are breaking down. And your immune system is breaking down. So in effect, things that we were able to fight years ago, we're not being able to fight because our bodies can't fight off these these symptoms, these diseases. That's become the problem. Yeah. You know, I got to ask you what this was like for you, Jody. I mean, you know, those of us that have gone through the trials and tribulations. And I have to tell you, I'm very blessed to be in a state where we have some of the best naturopaths. I mean, people that are honored, revered, because we live in a state where not only is natural medicine thought of as acceptable, it is a primary in insurance care. You can have a primary doctor, a naturopath. But I want to ask you, what was this like for you as a mother, this journey? This journey was beyond frustrating. Literally, my daughter was perfect. She was a nationally ranked fencer, Mm. an excellent student. And I turn around and she's falling in her fencing bouts. Eventually she can't walk up a set of stairs. Mm. Eventually she can't remember what you said to her a minute ago. Mm. It's a straight A student. And I live in New York and I've got very deep relationships in the medical system. And I take her to top infectious disease doctors. And they're telling her it's in her head. I continue on the journey. They're telling her 
that um, she has mono. I think we went through 18 months of just trying to figure out what this disease was. And it wasn't until I had two very dear friends who'd been 20 year plus sufferers turned around to me and said, I think she has Lyme disease. Let's just give her some antibiotics. And let's just see if it makes her better. And that was how I had to experience this disease. As backwards, the medical community failed me. Yeah. And I had to go and, in effect, work with the Lyme disease community. People have experience, people have experience with the disease to just get them on track. When I finally went back to the top of the infectious disease hospital, doctor, disease department at one of the top hospitals in New York. He said, okay, I'll give you a couple weeks of antibiotics, but we're not gonna call it Lyme disease. We're gonna call it a super infection. He didn't even want to right. even acknowledge right. this disease. So not only is my heart and soul in trying to get people better, my heart and soul is to make everyone, and that's what TBDA is about, is aware that this is a national growing epidemic in this country, but we need to affect change in our medical community, in our government, and insurance companies need to acknowledge that this is a disease they're gonna to have to support. Yeah. You know, I've asked everybody here if there were, if money was no option on limited funds, you got the world as your audience, what would be three things that you would implement immediately? Uh, developing a diagnostic, developing a good sound biorepository that can collect samples that researchers can work off of, mm. and then money, money, money into research. Yeah, yeah. If you had the president here, I was, I was joking about this, but it's no joke. I mean, I was joking before when I said, you know, the president's been here, he's been golfing. I said, did anybody check the president? I'm not kidding. No, you're not I mean, kidding. you're out. You're out. You ever go golfing? You yes. Go, okay, and then hopefully he didn't get in. And the I'm weeds. not a good golfer. So I'm not I'm, a good, I'm in the weeds. <laughs> I'm with you. But but it's true. You know, I wonder if the president and his family were checked because if they were, let's get the word out. Well, beyond get the word out, and and my journey is also appealing to his wife, Michelle. Oh, absolutely. This disease is about now, but it's about our future generations. This disease is about our children. And what we're going to affect in our Bite Back campaign nationally is I want to show people, government officials, how children are suffering. Some children can't go to school. Yeah. Some children can't play sports because their bones hurt in the morning. Mm -hmm. They can't get out of bed because they have splitting headaches. Their vision is blurry. They can't play sports. Um, they're not eating properly. They're also affected by their families who don't have money to even buy them a holiday gift. So this is not just about now, this is about the future. And if you want to affect any change, you've got to embrace our future generations, acknowledge this disease exists and support it. And we need support not only by the, by the private sector, but we also need a support through the government. That's the only way we're going to get change. One of the things that we talked about earlier was to have more of the higher profile people come out and speak out. I know that we're going to have some people at the event tonight that are going to come out and speak out. 
um, you know, a coming out party, so to speak, because, you know, there are many people that are in, you know, high profile celebrities, whatever you want to call them, that have been deeply affected by this, but have have pretty much stayed silent. What can we do about the stigma? Everyone is afraid. Everyone is afraid of their careers um, because the central nervous system involvement. And there are companies, if they find out you've had Lyme disease, and I think you always have Lyme disease. I don't think Lyme disease goes away. There's a sort of a prejudicial sense about this and employers won't employ you yeah actors you know visionaries like elizabeth taylor these people are afraid to come back because they're afraid they're not going to have a job Mm -hmm. so you know it's a huge problem but we're here to support people and i think that if we get a few people to step out a little bit We'll get others to make bigger steps and strides. And TBDA is here to support you. Well, thank you so much. One last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? Let's bite back. Let's fight back. I need people across the country to embrace John Donnelly. Yes. Welcome in 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 their homes. Bike ride with him for a section. Put together events. Her website is www.tbdalliance.org. Like us on Facebook Mm -hmm. at the Tick-Borne Disease Alliance. And thank you so much. You bet. I want to ask you, um, how can they find out where John's going to be? We are going to post. We are going to post where his his whereabouts. And we're going to put together um, a map shortly. And we will affect points where he's going on his drive on our website on our social media at twitter it'll be on facebook as well so we will have his ride but everybody across the country please email me at our website please go into facebook and let's make this happen let's get john across the country and i will return Mm. every message because that's what i'm here for what is it going to take to get him to seattle Whatever you want. We'll get them there. I'm telling you, we're going to have a big party over there. Dr. Darvish, get yourself ready. We're having company. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning us in, turning us on. We're going to take a shorty. We'll be right back with the show. TransformationTalkRadio.com, where transformation is inevitable. Dr. John Alcott joining me here today, president and founder, Lyme Disease Research Foundation. Uh, Dr. John is a native of California, graduated Phi Beta Kappa with honors and great distinction from the University of California at Berkeley, graduated he graduated from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, winning the Long Cope Award for Excellence in Internal Medicine. He's joining us here today. He's passionate beyond passion about the state of affairs with Lyme disease. He is one of the major inspirations and facilitators in raising the bar for Lyme disease research. Uh, he collaborates worldwide, and he was a member of the 2010 Institute of Medicine and National Academies of Sciences workshop on tick-borne infections and Lyme disease. He also directs the Lyme Disease Clinical Research Center and is a principal investigator of the SLICE study at Johns Hopkins, the first study in the U.S. to examine long-term health and outcomes of Lyme disease. We are on the beautiful, beautiful Martha's Vineyard. Beautiful in so many ways, and yet at the same time, there are so many things going on here that are from a health holistic point of view. And there's a reason for it. You know, usually these pockets that crop up 
where you find the top holistic healers, the wellness people, the doctors, people that are out there in the trenches, you know, using all sorts of innovation. Usually when you find a hot spot like that, there's something going on. Usually what's going on isn't the kind of thing, you know, you want to tune in and pay a lot of attention to, but we're here and we are paying attention to it. And the attention that we're paying to it has to do with making sure that everybody in the world understands that we are on a mission. And the mission begins with each of us that have gone down the road and have gone down the path of absolutely being dropped dead to our knees from illness and disease. The one that I'm talking about is chronic Lyme disease. Dr. John Alcott is joining us here today. Why? Because he is on a mission. Um, and as you heard me introduce him before, uh, and by the way, I could spend the entire hour just introducing him. If I did nothing else, I would just talk about all the things he's done, but I want you to hear it from who he is and what he's doing and why this is important. For those of you out there that, that feel that you're comfortable, I want to ask you mothers right now. I want to ask you a question, and Dr. John, I want you to jump in. I ask all the mothers out there right now. Are you comfortable with having your children play in the woods? I'm just asking, just out of curiosity. When they go out and you have them running around in the woods or they're going on a hike or you're going camping, how comfortable are you out there? How comfortable are you with your children um, knowing about Lyme disease, about what a tick-borne disease is all about? Well, I'll tell you why. Because from this point on, I want you to get very comfortable with it. I want you to understand there are things you can know, things you can do, things you can be aware of. But the one thing that you must be aware of is that chronic Lyme disease is not a myth. It's not something that somebody conjured up because they had nothing better to do. And we have the best of the best here tonight. You're going to hear from a lot of them. Dr. John, thank you for joining me here today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Interesting question. Yeah. You know, how would you feel about your kid running out in the woods? Uh, <laughs> it's a great question. I'm an outdoors person, so I think about that all the time. And the key thing is... Just like we take precautions when we drive a car, we wear a seatbelt, we do certain things to drive safely, we should be thinking the same way when we do things out of doors. It's not to avoid the out of doors, it's to approach it carefully, take right. precautions. Mm -hmm. And I think with precautions, we're allowed to enjoy the out of doors, but we shouldn't be careless about it. So let's talk about you for a minute. I mentioned a little bit about who you were, but I want to talk a lot more about who you are. You know, you are engaged in what some people have called the uphill battle for their lives. And um, tell us a little bit about what got you pointed in the direction to be a visionary and a missionary around this disease. And what is, how do you see your role? So I really wear two hats. The one hat I wear is as a clinician. I'm a MD physician. I care for patients and half of my time I spend trying to help people get better. And when I first started taking care of people with Lyme disease, it became obvious to me that some of them weren't getting better and the patients that weren't getting better were developing a very disabling illness, an illness that had a huge impact on their life and one that really kept the quality of their life at a level that they really weren't existing in a way that was compatible with their previous health. And when I saw this, it was disturbing. Again, I'm a clinician at first and foremost, and I want my patients to get better, to be healthy. And it became very clear to me that in Lyme disease, sometimes that doesn't happen. 
And uh, my other hat I wear is I come out of a tradition of medical research and medical science. And my scientific hat said, well, all right, there's a problem. Let's apply the tools of science that we have and try to understand this problem, figure out what's going on, and then most importantly, figure out how to help the people. So two hats, one a clinician, one a scientist. My model was, well, let's bring the science to the patients. Let's bridge that gap and create um, areas where we can learn and help patients better. And what I found out very quickly was there's not a lot of that going on. Yeah. Because of this kind of neglected status of chronic Lyme disease, there really aren't the clinical setups where patients can come and get coordinated care and participate in the kind of research studies that we need to better understand the illness. You know, part of this problem, too, is, I mean, and I think this is something that's, you know, that's super important, is we're now getting the word out that chronic Lyme disease even exists. What we know is that, and this has really been kind of interesting for my journey, is, you know, what we know is, like me, um, honestly, standing up, giving a presentation on how to live your best dream, full day workshop, by the end of the workshop, April 1st, 2004, by the end of the workshop, my right ankle was the size of a grapefruit. Everybody thought I tripped on something, I fell on something, I did something, I didn't. And that began the journey of my orthopedic doctor sending me for tests, mystery disease, does she have lupus, does she have this, does she have that, all of them, heart disease, sleep apnea, whatever. The endless stream of the, diagnoses. The endless, That's right. The end, stuff I didn't even hear about. Right. You know, somebody even said, uh, you know, you might have AIDS. And I said, I don't think I have AIDS. Well, how do you know you don't have AIDS? I don't know how I don't have AIDS. How would I have gotten AIDS? I'm not alone. And you would have thought that since 2004 now would have gotten better. Yeah. The huge obstacle we face is the lack of very sensitive and specific diagnostic tests. That's really a huge impasse right now. It's, it's a matter of the inability to measure the illness. And without measurement tools, it becomes very difficult to diagnose. And without accurate diagnosis, of course, it's almost impossible to design therapeutic interventions to help the patient. So we're really focused on the lack of measurement tools. There's yeah. two big areas that we're, we're really in yeah. trouble with. One is the early diagnosis of Lyme disease. The blood tests currently available are not accurate in the first few weeks of Lyme disease where, of course, you want to make your early diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So they don't work well there. And they also don't work well in following patients after treatment. We would love a test that tells us when the patient's better. Just like a man with prostate cancer gets his prostate taken out and his PSA drops. And when the man goes back to the surgeon, he says, is my prostate cancer cured? And the surgeon says, yes, your PSA went from 50 to zero. We don't have the equivalent of that in Lyme disease. We desperately need a test that's objective that we can use to guide our patients and tell them, are they better or not? The patients tell us they're not feeling well, and right. that's really important. It's right. very important to listen to the patients. That's the tradition I come from is taking close histories, listening to the patients. But in this modern era, we need to link that to accurate blood tests. Mm -hmm. That's really the way modern medicine does things is listening to the patient, finding their symptoms, but then trying to come up with mm -hmm. accurate blood tests to guide diagnosis and therapy. I heard something interesting, and I'm going to ask you this question because somebody said this to me. And I honestly, I then went and did the research on it. Somebody said, you know what? We don't think this is Lyme. And I said, well, why do, why, well, okay, tell me about that. She said, you know, look at, look at the world now. 
And I said, okay, look at the statistics. All of the folks that claiming to have Lyme disease, a large proportion of them are women. How do you explain that? Now, anything we can do to put this, keep this in denial, let's do it, Mm. right? This is their their big question. I said, well, really, is that the case? I said, "I, I have a PhD in psychology. Let me tell you something. You put a man and a woman side by side that are not feeling good. Who's going to be the first to tell you up front to your face they're not feeling good? Raise Mm. your hand. Mm. So it's an interesting dilemma because the people that are coming out, except for for you, Dr. John, and some others like you, it's a lot of women. So we're we're actually, that's one of our areas of interest in our research. And and that links back to, we think a lot of the problem with Lyme disease has to do with the human immune response to the infection and how it's variable. And some Mm -hmm. people will have one kind of immune response and other people another. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, women's immune responses are quite different than men's. Um, They're designed to live a life where their immune system has to be much more flexible, has to change in pregnancy, out of pregnancy, respond to hormones. So actually, one of our research hypotheses is that um, you can't understand Lyme disease without considering that men and women are likely going to be different, especially in their immune response. And there's numerous examples of that in mm-hmm. medicine where women are more predisposed to autoimmune illnesses, certain autoimmune illnesses. Um, so we're, we're quite interested in that as an important neglected area in Lyme disease research. And, and we're looking at those differences currently. Let, let's talk research for a minute, because mm-hmm. that's, I think that's something you and I have in common, you know, research in different areas, but clearly research. I mean, You know, they put me on a task to study the consequences of broken promises for eight years, a 400-page dissertation, two postdoctoral awards, to sit down and tell somebody, (laughs) to sit down and tell somebody statistically, which is important, that if if you break a promise to somebody, you're going to really mess them up. That's a bad thing. You're going to mess them up. (laughs) But the statistics that came out of that and the research was priceless. Tell me about how this research will become priceless to those that are suffering. So what, what will be of huge magnitude will be finding accurate diagnostic tests, and that will validate yeah. people's experiences. Right now, almost part of the illness itself is the lack of validation mm-hmm. of the suffering that the patients are having. We see this all the time. They're sick, they're ill. That's bad enough. But then the lack of ability to have that validated and to have the the diagnosis and and then the resources that surround diagnoses. We often hear patients say it, it would be better to have cancer than this chronic illness from Lyme disease, because at least with cancer, you have something to focus on. You have an infrastructure of support and care. And that's so much different sometimes than what happens with people with chronic Lyme illness. Uh You know, they don't get validation. They don't get compassionate care because there's no kind of structure for them to naturally fit into. And so they go, as you already mentioned, from doctor to doctor looking for somebody that knows how to put them into a healthcare structure that helps them get better. In the world of research, I love this question. As a matter of fact, I was on the verge of not passing my oral exam as a result of the answer to this question. Is there anything that you found that you expected and anything that you're finding that you're completely surprised and baffled by in your research so far? Well, what we're getting hints of that we actually did expect was that So we study patients with early Lyme disease. Our study design is to identify people at the very first stage. Mm -hmm. We think the best way to understand Lyme disease is not to start 
downstream months or years later, but to start the study with everyone at the time of infection. So our study is specifically designed for study purposes to identify people with the rash that guarantees are at the very first stage. Yeah. And what we anticipated, hypothesized actually, was that patients would respond to therapy, but that there would be subtle signatures or markers of their immune system being altered after treatment. And that these signatures of alteration in the immune system mm. would be the hints that there was still something going on in some people where in other people their health had been completely restored. Mm. So the hints of immune alterations is what we hypothesized. And we're getting the very first hints of that in our research. What we didn't anticipate uh, and this is a tough part of this disease, is that the symptoms of the patients, we have controls in the study. Yeah. So in any good study, you have patients with Lyme disease and controls without Lyme disease. Right. And what we didn't anticipate, which was quite surprising, is that the controls have a lot of the same symptoms as the Lyme patients. Wow. Because fatigue, for instance, this was one of the huge symptoms, right. is present in the general population. Now, are there differences in magnitude? Of course there are. But it makes the research very difficult because fatigue and pain are present in the general population. And so the study has to be designed in a way to show differences right. between the study participants and to pull out what's statistically significant compared to normal quote unquote, healthy people who still, we were surprised to see, have a lot of fatigue. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because that is a really interesting part. I mean, you know, I know what I had to do to really zoom in on something is I had to break the scale apart. And, mm. and for those of you that are not familiar with research, you know, you guys take these polls on the uh, e-news or some channel, right? People magazine, and they ask you, you know, did your boyfriend cheat on you? Yes and no. Well, if we were to say to you, we asked you four different questions that didn't say directly, did your boyfriend cheat on you? Uh, does your boyfriend stay out late? Uh, is your boyfriend on the phone when you don't think he should be? Uh, does your boyfriend uh, take more showers these days than he does it? But I think this is what we can do to get at that, right? To That's really right. tease that fatigue thing apart. That's right. And I will say our study is designed, again, to identify patients with early Lyme disease mm -hmm. at the beginning. Yep. These are patients that are ideally That's diagnosed right. and treated. And one of the things our research program found very early on was that a lot of patients are misdiagnosed early on. One of the huge problems is people are looking for that classic target ring within a ring bullseye lesion. And that's not the most common form of early Lyme disease. Patients often have a rash or skin lesion, but it's not a target usually. It's mm. usually often misidentified as a bug bite or a spider bite. And some patients don't have a rash that they can see at all. And so that early misdiagnosis, that missed opportunity is huge. Those are probably the people that are at higher risk of having mm. disabling severe fatigue that is two, three standard deviations from the general population. Our group that we're studying are ideally diagnosed. So actually quite surprising, even with ideal diagnosis and treatment, mm -hmm. people are still having uh, more fatigue than the average population, more pain. And we use instruments to measure quality of life or yeah. functional instruments. And those instruments are showing that some of our patients, their quality of life as it relates to their health 
is lower um, with the Lyme disease, even after ideal mm -hmm. diagnosis and treatment, than matched controls of the same age mm -hmm. and, and gender. So there is something going on here. There absolutely is a real illness, and we're able to tease it out, yeah. as you were saying, by using multiple instruments that look at quality of right. life, pain, fatigue, and you're right. You have to really look at everything carefully and, and right. detailed, and over time. We follow the patients for two years. Some of the patients, you know, really... Um, develop their problems six months after treatment. I'm going to talk. Thank you. Bingo. My next question that I was going to ask you. Um, and I know that you, this is a live event and I know you're going to take off. I hope you will come back and join me on air live. Oh, I hope you will do to. that on the Dr. Pat show. Um, here's the next question. It's a follow-up to that. I'm a little unusual. I know I didn't get bit by a tick anywhere near or close to that date. What happened to me is I got shoulder surgery in October of 2003, rotator cuff, bad rotate, a real complete reconstruction. It's a theory that says somebody like me, and actually the CDC in Washington state agrees. They were willing to give me the test because why? I'm from New Jersey. So when they're thinking, what they're saying is, oh, you could have got bit by a tick 20 years ago and now it's showing up because you know what? You are getting a little older. Any of that true? What have you found so far? Well, we definitely know that some people don't see the rash. In mm -hmm. fact, some people don't even get sick when they first get right. infected. Because again, their immune system deals with the initial invasion. They don't get sick. Or if they're a little sick, they just pass it off to a little summer flu. And they can be perfectly fine for months or even years. And it's well known that uh, months or years later, people can develop the very first sign that they're aware of when it pops up, usually in a knee joint is a typical joint. Those people with knee arthritis usually have no history of ever knowing they had Lyme disease. And they certainly had it for months and months. Here we go. Now you're talking my song. Um, I wanted to, uh, I could talk to you all night, and I know we probably got a waiting list out here of people, but I, I do hope you come back because I think you and I talk the same language in a sense. Information has been so important. I think the thing that has helped me in being an advocate to shine the light on Lyme disease has been my research background. You know, you're not going to give me some fly-by-night answer to a question. You know, I mean, it's just not going to happen. So... You know, I wanted to ask you, and, and this is maybe something you haven't looked at yet, but I, I'm, I'm sure it's on the table. Um, are you finding in your research that some people get better because they do A or go the path of A, and some people don't even die because they go the path of B? Mm. Now, I'm not saying what A and B is. So that's what we want to do in the future. Okay. We want to form hypotheses based on these immune system findings. Yes. That's really what will generate the next level of hypotheses. Because obviously I'm a clinician again, I want to be able to intervene. Yeah. So I want to identify which pathways are promoting recovery mm -hmm. and which ones aren't. We think we'll be able to generate some of those hypotheses mm -hmm. from the immune studies. And again, it, it may be different in women than men. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we want to do next. I want to ask you this one last mm -hmm. question. Um, a lot of statistics coming out uh, about Lyme, you know, statistics about the rate of Lyme, uh, how many people die from it and so forth and so on, of course, cannot be validated in the medical profession. A lot of statistics. Um, how do we get people to pay attention to some of those numbers as a statistician, a researcher, somebody's at the top, 
in your field, how do we get them to pay attention? I think you get them out there. They speak for themselves. Lyme they disease do. is now the second most reportable infectious disease on the entire east coast of the united states the only one higher is chlamydia sexually transmitted disease besides that it's the second most common right. the statistic speaks for itself there are thirty thousand cases that make it to the final stage of reporting but everyone in the field knows that that's a vast underestimate of two to twelve fold underestimated pick the middle five fold so that's over a hundred two hundred thousand cases a year yeah, yeah. the statistics speak for themselves and, and if you look at the cdc maps of cases that are reported, again, an underestimate. If you just layer them decade after decade, it's obvious. The magnitude and the geographic right. spread is right there in front of you and all the data. It's just getting them out there and taking them at face value because they speak for themselves. Well, I think one of the things that I'm happy about in the state of Washington is that the people are coming forth. Um, you know, the, and, and again, they're mostly women. And I had one of my listeners explain why. And she, this is something for you to think about it in your research. And this is what I'm going to leave you with. She said, a couple of things to think about. I said, okay. She said, first of all, my husband would never go to a natural doctor. That's number one. You're not going to get my husband to go to a natural doctor. So I'm at a natural doctor. That's an, and a Bastier graduate awarded natural doctor, a naturopath in the state of Washington, one of the top in the world. That's number one. Men don't do that. Right. And, some men do, but this is her speaking now. Mm -hmm. She said, number two, my husband complains more than I ever complained, but he would never do it in public. If he's out with his buddies, he's going to swing that golf club. He's right. out with his buddies, he's going to swing that ball. But when he gets home, he's like a baby. He said, number two. And he said, tell, tell the people that you're going to see, these, these, these big wigs, you, Dr. John, tell them that there's something that happens between men and women that may be biological and may not. And that is, it's hard for men to admit defeat. Hmm. It's not hard for us women that are raising children to say, we are surrendering. We need to find another way of doing this. Hmm. So it's interesting how now gender and, and lifestyle is now becoming a question in this and looking at normalizing the statistics. So I hope at the next research you do, you do one body with the wives of men that complain a lot about their health, but don't really go to natural doctors. Right. Thank, Thank you, you, Dr. John. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been such a pleasure, and I hope you'll come back. I will. Awesome. Thank you. And let's go have fun, and this should be a great night. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. TransformationTalkRadio.com, where transformation is inevitable. One of the things that I, I want to make sure we talk about is that this is a killer. Let's start there. This is not, we're not just sitting here just talking about, oh, we got like a bad attitude about ticks. That's not it, but we do. But this is a killer, Dr. Ronnie. And let me ask you, what do you have to say about this killer that nobody's paying attention to? I, I am so passionate, but sometimes I get a little angry um, because I, I know we're speaking to the choir. There's not enough people out there. Do not kid ourselves. There's not enough people out there that's aware of this thing. I travel all around the country, Dr. Pat, and I've been to some places where I've seen kids out there in the grass rolling around and next to them are their horses and their animals and next to them are their animals in their beds and you know what and I'll, 
I cannot believe when I drove in a mile, there was four deer. They weren't just normal deer. You know how that used to come out yeah. of the out of the woods. Yeah. They weren't in the woods. They were near the freeway, yeah. the highway, whichever what you want to call it. It was bad. And I come say, is am I the only one alarmed here? What is going on here? So by the time I got back to my client's home, she looked at me. She says, Dr. Ronnie, what's wrong? I looked at her. She says, I know what you're going to say. I said, what? She says, you've never seen so many deer. I said, I've never seen so many deer in a mile. I says, are you people are alarmed? Do you, uh, do you know there's Lyme? She says, we don't have Lyme here. What, what state was that in? It had to be Bethesda, Maryland, near Washington. So so maybe we should be sending out like little Facebook things and show the map. We should show the map. That map they got where they got all the things in the map about this and about that and about a few other things. Hi, Chloe. Look, the party's all here. Hello. Cute. How are you? See, I'm so glad I wore black. I am so glad. It's going to be black or blue. That's the way I feel. Lyme disease, black or blue. That's right. That's right. I asked you what you're all fired up about. So, I mean, okay. what do you so, think so, about folks so, dying? So people are not aware, okay? And, and that's our mission. We have to become, we have to educate people out there. I'll never, you know, I, I'm sure you hear the stories all the time. I Look, I was treating Lyme before I even knew it was Lyme. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, one of my clients said to me, and she came in and she was like hysterical crying. And she said to me, I have Lyme. And I go, okay. You know, I didn't, I, I was not aware of why mm. she was How long hysterical. ago was that, Dr. Ronnie? How long maybe ago Maybe this that? was about five years, four years ago, maybe oh. four, three years ago. That's sad for me to say that it was only four years ago. So I said, I understand. I says, okay, you have Lyme. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you're going to be okay. Mm. She says, you don't understand. She says, I finally found the reason why I've been so sick for the last 15 years, Mm. really sick in bed. Now, come on, you know, 15 years is a long time. And we got young children today that are in their teens, young adults that have been out, spent more time out of school than they spent in school. And they're still not being diagnosed. And these kids are going to die if we don't do something about it. We have adults dying and they're not being properly diagnosed. No, they're not. It it does remind me of going through the AIDS epidemic and and watching my friends. I mean, it was, it broke Mm -hmm. my heart. Mm -hmm. I didn't think in my lifetime, my heart would get broken twice like that. Do you know what I mean? I know. I I thought, uh, mm, okay, there's nothing else going to be quite like that. I never thought I'd be here. I thought I would be gone before I would be having this conversation about how my heart hurts. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so what you're sharing is so important for people, but we have to do something in the media. We have to do something. We have to raise money so that we can buy this airtime on every one of these stations here and there, get money for video, Mm -hmm. get people to come out, follow John across the country. People don't have a life savings to spend to save their lives. That's right. You know, what would you want to say to people about what you are the advocate of, what are you looking forward to changing? 
What are the things that have to change? What, what has to change like now? Not tomorrow, the, not the, 10 years the, from the now. The list is long. Dr. Pat, the list is long. We want testing. We want better um, supplements. We want research. We want testing facilities. We want doctors to stop sending our patients home with nothing in their hands. Mm. They're not even properly diagnosing them. So the research that's being done right now, it's not fast enough. I mean, we now have doctors saying still... They're saying there's no such thing as Lyme. There's no such thing as chronic Lyme. If you got bit by a tick, you take the antibiotics for 15 days, 21 days, sometimes a week, and that's it, and it's over. You go home. The type of people I see is so sad. I see chronic Lyme. I see neurological Lyme. I see gastrointestinal Lyme. I see cardiac Lyme. By the time it gets to the immune system, you don't even have the brain focus or the memory or the intelligence enough to even find yourself in a doctor's hospital room. You don't even have the energy. You know what? They're in bed. Dr. Pat, these people are in bed because they can't get up out of bed to go get the proper help because they feel like people have given up on them. I know. You know, I, you know, at the retreat, I'll never forget this woman. She bought her husband and I thought she was kidding. She says, I'm done. She says, I can't do it anymore. And I thought she was going to take him home and she's left. I thought she was going to come back. She thought she went to have lunch break or something. She didn't come back. She says she couldn't do it anymore. Mm. She says someone's got to help them. She left them with me. Uh, that is it. I think every one of us that have been through this, and let, let's let's give Chloe a little chance. Why don't you hand the headset over to Chloe, Chloe come here? come over here. And, and we'll switch that headset back and forth here if we could. Um, I, want to t- I want to get back to you because you said something now that, uh, for me, we're talking about somebody. Chloe, thank you so much for, for joining us here today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's the problem we have. Yep. Look at us in this room. Mm-hmm. We look good. Mm-hmm. We, we do. We look good. We mm-hmm. look healthy. Mm-hmm. We look like we're eating well. We look like we're living well. But we are sick. Right. And nobody gets it. Right? No gets nobody it. gets that we, you know, we come on here, we do the, oh, you don't look sick. Man, what's the matter with you? You're just complaining. What has this been like for you? And first of all, thank you for taking a minute, Chloe. Oh, of course. I mean, anytime. This how, is... how long have you had Lyme? Um, this past spring, just half my life, 10 years. I'm 20, so 10 years. Um, so I was diagnosed when I was 11. And so I was given prednisone. When you give bacteria prednisone, I was misdiagnosed with cancer. You basically spread the bacteria to every organ in your body. So overnight, as an 11-year-old, I had to go from being a child to an adult. And that's just the way it is. There was no teenage years within that. And you have to grow up really fast because you are being told these terrible things by adults that are wearing professional suits and you're supposed to trust and and they're supposed to be there to help you. And then they tell you you're crazy or it's all in your head and you're, you have a knee the size of a watermelon. You have to build a very thick skin as a child and you have to learn to be an adult and say, you know what? That person just doesn't have the information and they're mad that they don't have the information and you got to walk away from that and find people that are willing to either acknowledge I can't help you because I don't know or find people that are willing to explore how to help you. How'd you do that at 10? I got to ask you. 
I mean, how'd you do that at 10? You know, you know I, I mean, it's an interesting question. Not that, you know, when I was 10, I thought I thought it was Elvis. So, I mean, I, I'm just wondering. It you was know, really something inside of you. It was you know, really you were hard. Destined for it's something. something I, I don't know. For me, it's something that comes from it's like it was so hard. I had to reach into my soul and try to figure it out, because when you're a child and something like this happens to you, you're first reaction is it's my fault as a child children always think it's my fault I did something wrong what did Mm -hmm. I do wrong so you really have to do some soul searching and you have to realize that God or the spirits or whoever you believe in did not give this to you to punish you they gave Mm -hmm. it to you because they believe you're strong enough to overcome it Mm -hmm. and that's how I've kind of coped with not feeling like this is unfair Mm -hmm. or that this is something that's so terrible that's happened because it would be unfair to grant this upon someone who didn't have the strength to overcome it. And that's how I see it. So Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just learning how to really find positive thoughts within yourself that you truly believe in and you just, you become, you become an adult that way. And Mm -hmm. You know, I never really, I didn't have a teeny, I didn't, I didn't have teenage years. So yeah, I don't know how you could imagine. I don't know how you could have had teenage years. We moved, we moved to our town, Dover, or ironically for the school system. And I ended up homeschooling myself because no one would give me the support or education at all. And I got fives on my APs and they wouldn't tell me that I was going to be able to graduate until the morning of graduation, they said, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to walk until 10 minutes previous to walking when they found out I got fives on my APs. So it's been really tough, but it's what also... What does that mean for the listeners that may not know what that means? It fives means that... on an AP. Five is the highest score that you can get. So it's it's acing it and doing it on your own and knowing I'm that... surprised they didn't make you take them again. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's oh not... You, you have to believe in yourself and yep. believe in yourself that if you can overcome this disease, you can overcome mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. And after, after I went to... After I finished high school, I did my undergrad the first two years in Madrid. So I studied and coming back, I think it's really important to kind of tell the kids that are going through the going down the path that I first went down that you can really overcome this and overcome the alienation that the school is giving you and, and all of that. And you can do whatever you want to do and yeah. travel the world. Yeah. I really think part of this is, and this is something that I want to ask you to think about, mm-hmm. um, you know, parents pay attention to their kids. Yep. They really do. And when the kid says, you know, mom, dad, this is what I've learned. And I found out, I mean, to get out and be a spokesperson, to really speak to the young people, um, to make sure that they have a voice is brilliant. My generation, my job is to speak to my generation because my generation has given up. Yes. You know, they are tired. They are in pain. Um, they have tried. And, you know, what happens here? Here we are. We're on two. Yeah. End, you know, we're on two. Right. I, actually, I look pretty good for my ages. But what, I, what I'm trying to say is, thank you. What I'm trying to say is this. Here we are. We're a little polarized here, but we're not really. But here's the polarization. You represent the youth that people mm-hmm. don't listen to. I represent the aging that people don't listen to. We are invisible. And until we both 
you come together. You know, actually, you and I should talk about doing a talk together and go into these schools and go into these places until we come together. You know, what's going to happen is we're going to be eliminated. We're not the low end of the bell-shaped curve. As a matter of fact, we're, it's an inverted bell. You know, what I was just saying is that a chronically ill person can put on a red dress and they can look well and they can go out and they can speak their mind and they can do whatever a healthy person can do, but probably better because they've had to overcome problems that most people haven't in their lifetime. And I think it's really important after experiencing it Mm -hmm. to be not necessarily role model, but an inspiration almost for kids who Mm -hmm. don't know what to expect for for what they're going to... Go mm-hmm. down. So, um, so, so where do you go from here? What do you? Where do for you? For me, I would like to work in developing countries to um, make lasting differences and mm-hmm. do advocacy for the healthcare sector mm-hmm. of government, mm-hmm. so that you know there's changes that last beyond my time. Yeah, and that's great. I think it's really important to do in developing countries because, mm-hmm. you know. This is this Lyme is such a huge problem in the United States. Just wait till it gets to another developing country where they have no idea what's gonna what to do with it. And yeah, it's in, gonna be interesting in years to, to see. Come. It's gonna be interesting to see what but happens. I think it's it's really important. I think for me to go and help the kids go through mm-hmm. what I went through, and it's rewarding and it's it's educational for them and it gives them an outlook that everything's going to be fine and they'll, they'll, they'll do just fine. What do you think about this event? I think it's like, it's incredibly moving. It's, it's, it is. Um, for me, it's very special because in 10 years, it's really the first time that I've ever been acknowledged even by Mm. family friends that, that I go through Mm. not the average life. And Mm. I put on a cover because I don't like, pity or the sympathy Mm -hmm. i'd Mm -hmm. like to be acknowledged for the strength and overcoming things instead you know it's no one wants to be that miserable person in life why live in misery when you can be grateful for what you have i mean having a disease like this for such a long time in your lifetime really puts things in perspective and teaches you as a child to value you know Mm -hmm. family and health and what you have and even just the little things. So, Well, I hope you will come back on the show. I'd like to have a big in-depth uh, conversation. This mm-hmm. is our 10-year anniversary with the Dr. Pat Show. So what's right. going to happen starting in September, we're going to be featuring a, a lot of very high-profile, controversial conversations, mm-hmm. and this is going to be one of them. What would you like to say? What would be your personal message? What would you like to leave everybody with? I think I'd like to leave everybody with, you know, just... Because something awful or something something like this happened in your life doesn't mean that you need to see everything so mm-hmm. negatively. You know, when you face controversy or adversarial concepts mm-hmm. going on in your life head on, you really, you grow from it. And I think it's important to turn things like this disease into a positive mm-hmm. and so that it's recognized you know, without mm-hmm. individuals yeah. as being something positive in their life that they can help other people in the future with education. And I think to just have hope. For much too long, we have watched it. Sicken us, cripple us, even kill us. Over 400,000 of us each year. And counting. 
It has attacked our children, friends, loved ones, even our pets. It has derailed education, childhoods, marriages, careers. It has eluded our doctors, our politicians, our healthcare system, insurance companies, tick-borne diseases, tick-borne diseases, the fastest growing infectious diseases in America, a national health crisis, costing us billions, the next epidemic, the next epidemic is here. We are the Tick-Borne Disease Alliance. And we've had enough. 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 Of watching, waiting, and suffering. Now. Ahora. Right now. It's time. To stand up, rise up, and change the system. Change the system. Rewrite the rules. It's time. It's time. It's time. To be heard. Be seen. Be the change. It's time for all of us to bite back. Bite back for a cure. Together. Together. Together we can find a 100% reliable diagnostic test that leads to a cure. To a cure. That changes lives for the better. Forever. Bite back. Bite back. Bite back, America. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio, the home of some of the world's most inspiring talk radio hosts. Please stay tuned at the top of the hour. We will be bringing you another amazing, educational, and inspiring show to get you on the path to transforming your life. For more information about us, please visit our website, www.transformationtalkradio.com. That's www.transformationtalkradio.com. There is not just one kind of radio show. Some radio shows are all about busting through and getting unstuck from the crust in your life. But the Dr. Pat Show, well, she does it all. She's been helping people in all aspects of their life now for 10 years. Her interview style, her unique personality, the amazing guests she has on her show are all factors of what makes an amazing radio show. Please join Dr. Pat in celebrating 10 extraordinary years of talk radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Pat. Thank you for supporting us for the past 10 years. We are promising each and every one of you that this coming year, our 10th year anniversary, will be the best yet. We will be paying forward so many ideas, so many tools, so many gifts to all of you because you have inspired us to be better and better and better each year. For more information, please make sure you stay tuned to TransformationTalkRadio.com or TheDrPatShow.com. And remember, join me. Let's live life full out together. Get insider knowledge about everything that is going on at Transformation Talk Radio. Go to TransformationTalkRadio.com and enter your email to receive our newsletter. Stay updated on new hosts, inspiring guests, and good news articles from around the world. We look forward to having you join our community. Transformation Talk Radio's amazing hosts span from the Pacific to the Atlantic coast. With a world full of loyal fans, what's stopping you from joining our clan? Bring your powerful message to listening ears. We've been helping people do this for many years. Want to make a difference? We can help you out. Just give us a Transformation Talk Radio a shout. It's easy to get started with an email so small to host at TransformationTalkRadio.com and then we'll give you a call. Transforming the world, one listener at a time. Transformation Talk Radio, that's my line. Non-stop shows, 24 hours, 7 days. Positive Talk Radio is the new craze. 
Learn and live your life the best you can. All hosts of TTR will lend a hand. Transform, inspire, educate, create. Tune in now. Our shows are actually really great. Tell your friends, your brother, dad, and mom to tune in at TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, Moon, you want to know something groovy? Yeah, Jess. What's that? Dr. Pat has been on the radio for 10 years. 10 years? Are you kidding me? That's awesome. I'll tell you what's awesome. She's bringing back the Pay It Forward campaign and Holistic Makeover to celebrate. If you want to know more or get involved, go to thedrpatshow.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thedrpatshow to get updates about everything we're doing. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio, the home of some of the world's most inspiring talk radio hosts. Please stay tuned at the top of the hour. We will be bringing you another amazing, educational, and inspiring show to get you on the path to transforming your life. For more information about us, please visit our website, www.transformationtalkradio.com. That's www.transformationtalkradio.com. <laughs> 